This is the In Focus podcast from The Hindu. Hello and welcome to the In Focus podcast. My name is Jayan Sriram and I'm your host for today. We're talking in this episode about the big international story that's dominated this week. and that's the conflict between Israel and Hamas in Palestine there is very little that i need to say by way of introduction even as we record despite some true efforts the conflict between the two sides only seems to be escalating and there's a real danger now that this could be a long drawn out affair and could easily spiral out of control the number of casualties is already high so in this episode we're going to look at the immediate triggers for this conflict look at where things stand now between the two sides And as we always do on this podcast, we will pan out and look at how various geopolitical factors have brought us to this point. I'm joined by the Hindu's international affairs editor, Stanley Johnny, our expert on the Middle East. Stanley, welcome back to the podcast once again. Pleasure to have you with us as always. Thank you, Jayant. Thanks for having me. Right. So um I think the first thing to discuss is you know what stage is the conflict in right now? I think uh, it's a concern globally for the international community that this is kind of spiraling out of control. At this point as we're recording, what do we know about what's happening? Yeah, uh and I think it's uh, it's going on in the sense Hamas keeps launching rockets and Israel keeps uh pounding Gaza with its air strikes. and uh, i think what i when i checked last time at least 80 people were killed uh, in gaza and seven killed in israel including one soldier and others were civilians and including one indian uh, and then even after yesterday israel has leveled the buildings and it killed hamas's uh, top commander in gaza city and hamas has vowed, re- vowed retaliation and then it's now it started more rockets after that so i think as of now it's bound to escalate further and there were reports that israel has drawn up plans for a ground invasion uh, which it hasn't done for years so which means israel is i mean if 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 at all they do it uh, then it is this is uh, you know uh, it, it then it's gone out of control definitely because the operation would continue unless uh until israel either achieves its uh, target or uh, unless it's pushed back by the hamas and if there is ground invasion the possibility of more israeli soldiers getting killed by hamas uh, is also high because the way hamas conducted the you know at least escalated the incident from jerusalem to this shows that hamas was kind of prepared for this conflict uh so it is Yeah at this point what we could say with certainty is that it is bound to escalate further. I don't see it ending anytime soon. Right um you did mention that uh, after a long time Israel is contemplating you know launching a ground invasion when was the last time that uh, such a thing happened? Uh, yeah the last uh, uh, attack happened in 2014 the last major conflict between Hamas and Israel happened in 2014. Uh, in 2014 israel started with air strikes initially and then sent troops and tanks into gaza and the conflict went on for 7 weeks uh so uh, so this time now there are reports that israel is drawing up plans uh, for another ground invasion 
So even if it does, it would uh, go in and then target Gaza, target uh, Hamas infrastructure and Hamas leadership and then pull back. That's what they did last time. Uh, so Israel wants to inflict maximum damage on uh, Hamas. And uh, on the other side, uh, the risk factor is that uh, Hamas, more Israeli troops could also be uh, killed. I mean, in a sense, once your troops are on the ground and Gaza is Hamas's territory and Hamas has been kind of, you know, uh, controlling this since 2014. So Hamas could also be prepared for, though there is no match between Hamas and uh, Israeli troops. Israeli troops is much more equipped and trained. Uh, but still, uh, casualties on the Israeli side could also go up once the ground invasion starts. Right. So um, you had an analysis piece in the paper yesterday, which we linked to along with this podcast, where you kind of mentioned, where you kind of uh, you know hypothesized that Israel may have underestimated um, the preparedness of Hamas or the response of Hamas in this particular conflict. So I uh, just want to draw you out on that. Is that the case? Uh, I mean, uh, as I wrote in the piece, it is too early to reach uh, conclusions. I was just raising a you know, hypothetical question whether Israel really expected the, the conflict and the violence in Jerusalem to escalate to an open conflict with Hamas. We are not sure, but uh, uh, this appears to be you know, uh, uh, a bit tricky for the Israelis as well. It's true that Israel is a powerful, uh, you know, much more powerful than Hamas. Israel has uh, the ability to uh, pound Gaza uh, or even send troops across the border into the into Gaza, etc., etc. But at the same time, you see, uh, compared to 2014, so uh, let's say on Monday, May the 10th, in the morning, Israeli troops, Israeli armed forces have stormed Al-Aqsa, mosque in East Jerusalem. Uh, and then immediately after that, Hamas issued an ultimatum. Hamas said, you have time till, say, 6 o'clock. You withdraw, withdraw all troops from Alexa compound and withdraw all the settlers from Sheikh Jarrah in East Jerusalem, where this eviction battle is now also underway. And if you don't do it, you will face repercussions. That was the ultimatum. And both Hamas and Israel knew that Israel was not going to meet these demands. And then after six o'clock, Hamas started firing rockets. So here, basically, Hamas was driving the conflict. I mean, after the Jerusalem violence, Israel was using force against Palestinians in East Jerusalem. But then Hamas seized on it and then turned it to a conflict between Hamas and Israel, launched rockets, hundreds of them. That is one thing. And then secondly, uh, you see the way Hamas launched rockets. Usually the Israelis say that Iron Dome is providing a security umbrella, a defense umbrella for Israel. So which would stop, uh, you know, which, which would intercept and uh, neutralize Hamas rockets. This time also, Iron Dome is effective, very effective, and Iron Dome neutralized, um, say, hundreds of rockets. But still, Hamas, I think, found a way to work around Iron Dome or the saturation level of Iron Dome because it fire, fired hundreds of rockets within minutes, say, 137 rockets in five minutes, and then testing the real capability of Iron Dome. And in, 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 in effect, it is some rockets actually pierced through the Iron Dome umbrella and hit Israeli cities. So you can see in 2014, over the course of seven weeks of war, uh, I think six Israeli citizens, seven Israeli citizens were, Israeli civilians were killed. Seven civilians, one was a foreign national in 2014. This time in the first two days of the conflict, six people were killed, six civilians, including one foreign national, who unfortunately is a Malayali, 
uh, an Indian. Uh, so this time Hamas, at least in the first two days, we could see that Hamas is more successful in hurting Israeli interest with its rockets. So, and also, you know, uh, Hamas has, I think Hamas has amassed more number of rockets this time because otherwise you won't be able to fire uh, 1,500 rockets in two days, you know, because in, in, in 2014, Hamas had fired 4,000 rockets in seven weeks, in 50 days. This time, they fired uh, 1,500 rockets, at least 1,500 rockets in the first uh, uh, 48 hours. So Hamas was kind of, I mean, we don't know for sure whether Israel had expected this to escalate to this level when Israel unleashed violence in Jerusalem. But we are, I think, uh, pretty much we, we can say that Hamas, when Hamas issued an ultimatum to Israel, Hamas was ready to fight the war. Right. Um, just before we proceed, by Iron Dome, you mean the uh, air defense system, right? That Israel yeah. uses. Yeah. yeah. The anti-missile air defense system. That is. Right. So just, just moving on from there, it uh, yeah, from what you say, it suggests that Hamas was kind of prepared for a long, drawn-out conflict. Um, and just kind of, let's just go back to the roots of how this started. And, you know, we'll get to talking about the importance of Jerusalem, because that's sort of at the root of this. Um, but the, the sort of immediate provocations, can we just kind of give a timeline of what happened? Yeah, let's say, um, uh, see, the resentment against the Israeli occupation has been building up in Jerusalem and West Bank and Gaza. That's there. That's always been there. But the immediate trigger, we could say, was uh, Israel had set up some barricades outside Damascus Gate at the beginning of Ramzan. Uh, that was mid-April. Uh, and then Damascus Gate is an important, you know, it is a center of Palestinian life outside the old city of Jerusalem. Old city is in East Jerusalem. Uh, so usually the Palestinians would gather there after their Ramzan fast. Uh, but then Israel had set up the security barriers preventing them from gathering outside Damascus Gate. That led to clashes. Uh, protests, basically. Protests and then clashes between Israeli police and the Palestinians. And then the Israelis removed the barricades. But I think by that time, uh, you know, uh, the fuse has been lit and protests uh, were there. That was one. That was the trigger, we could say. And then secondly, you know, a group of families in Sheikh Jarrah. Sheikh Jarrah is an, is a, uh, is an East Jerusalem neighborhood. So they were facing eviction from their homes. So the reason is that uh, uh, Jewish settlers claim that their houses uh, who these Palestinian houses sat on land purchased by Jewish agencies in 19th century, 1885 to be precise. Uh, and then they uh, they want these families to leave their houses so that they could build uh, settlements, Jewish settlements in the area. Uh, so, you know, the issue is a bit complicated. Israel government says it is uh, it is a real estate dispute, but it's much more complicated than that. Because Israel, at least since 1970s, has been pushing for Jewish settlements in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Some 220,000 uh, Jews are already living in West Jerusalem, which was predominantly an Arab city. So they were living in Jewish settlements. So this has been going on for quite some time. And then even if you look at the story of Sheikh Jarrah, these families, you know, in 1948, when the state of Israel was created, announced, and then in the subsequent war, 1948, the first Arab-Israel war, some 700,000 Palestinians were forced out of their houses. They became refugees. And right. many of them are scattered across the West Asian countries. You know, they are, they are in, in Jordan, they are in Syria, Lebanon, in the Gulf countries, etc., etc. And a group of them uh, who 
people were forced out of their homes they moved to east jerusalem some 20 plus families and then after the 1948 war east jerusalem was with jordan it was not yet with the israelis and in the 1950s with permission from the jordanian government and help from the un relief works agencies they built these houses so at least you know from 1956 these families have been living there for say generations now there are there are dozens of people are living in sheikh jara but in 1967 the israelis captured the city eastern half of the city and in the 1970s israel you know settlement becomes an official policy promoting settlements in east jerusalem and west bank becomes a government policy of israel after right. menashe begin uh, uh, becomes the uh, prime minister you know then what happens uh, this 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 becomes a legal issue this is this was going on for quite some time so the jewish agencies were saying that they bought the land jewish agencies bought the land uh, in 1885 when palestine was part of the ottoman empire so what we can see is palestine was part of the ottoman empire when jews were migrating and buying up land and then the palestinian families who were who became refugees moved to east jerusalem in 1948 in the late 1940s or in the 1950s when jerusalem was controlled by jordan and then the the control of jerusalem you know it shifted to the israelis and then these families are now in trouble so earlier this year an israeli court issued a verdict asking for families to leave so that also triggered protests so uh, the jerusalem protest broke out a few days ahead of the israeli supreme court order on this issue so israeli supreme court was supposed to give a final order on monday but later on they postponed it on advice from the israeli government given the inflammable situation in uh, jerusalem but this this was the second factor and the third factor was that you know may uh, 10th was the jerusalem day uh, marking which in which israel marks uh, the capture of the city in 1967 Uh, so on jerusalem day uh, usually uh, this far right zionist youth they take out this flag march uh, across the old city especially through the arab quarter of the old city it is a highly provocative march uh, so this time despite the tensions is the israeli authorities initially gave permission to them later on they rerouted it uh, so ahead of the march in alaksa palestinians had some palestinians had assembled in alaksa the israeli troops said that they assembled there with molotov cocktail uh, stones etc etc so israeli troops entered the alaksa compound and they even stormed the alaksa mosque which is the third holiest shrine in islam so that was kind of you know uh, escalated things quickly and then hamas immediately seized on the moment and then issued this ultimatum etc etc this is what led to the current clashes jain Right. Uh, so, from what you're saying, it does sound as if um, this year, in particular, the actions of the Israeli government were, you know, aggressive, provocative. Even um, is there a reason for that? Is there a reason that they picked this year to kind of, as you say, barricade that mosque and even uh, take out this? The, the procession, as you say, is is a regular thing, but even sort of going ahead with this. Yeah, uh, we don't know if there is any actual reason. One, you know, all kind of theories are there. One is that Israel is going through some kind of political instability. you know they they went through uh, they went for four elections they still they are not able to form the government now netanyahu uh, failed to form the government after the fourth election and then the president has asked another politicians to form the government so netanyahu is under pressure 
so he was being more assertive in jerusalem to send the message that he can only he can deal with uh, this issue etc etc that kind of theories are there we don't know if they are actually true uh, but uh, usually the israeli approach towards uh, palestinians are getting hardened especially in jerusalem because there were occasional protests there were occasional violent response also from the palestinians to israeli troops some stabbings were stabbing attempts were there there and then israel would usually respond with uh, force towards these incidents uh, so at the beginning of ramzan maybe um, israel wa- did not want palestinians to gather and then you know uh, organize and protest against the occupation against the israeli troops etc etc uh so this was the context so you can we, we we can keep the political context in mind we can keep the security context also in mind while looking at this incidents right and has there been a build up to this in a sense because you know during the trump administration there was that formal recognition of jerusalem being the capital of israel that yeah. um, so you know how does that kind of tie into what's happening right now uh yeah uh, actually that anger was there uh, you know uh, anger was building up in the palestinian territories there are um you know regional international and domestic reasons for this anger domestic let's say two factors are there one the palestinians are not seeing any light at the end of the tunnel this occupation is going on right the peace process is non existent their leadership in west bank uh, which is the fatah or president abu mazen uh, seems incapable to do anything you know to stand up to the israelis and uh, he had uh, briefly suspended the security cooperation with the israelis last year ahead of israel's planned annexation of the west bank uh, Jew- jewish settlements but then in in january he had resumed the security cooperation with israel with with israel which was also a widely unpopular move hamas called it a stab in the process of nation building process abu mazen's decision so and then the palestinian authority is accused of corruption etc etc so this this is the domestic anger was there and then regionally regionally let's, let's say that the palestinian arabs how would they look at the whole thing because they see that you know the israeli occupation is being tightening on the palestinians and there are no reprieve and on the other side yeah the even the united states let's say globally the united states recognized jerusalem as its capital and moved its embassy uh, to jerusalem from tel aviv in 2018 under the trump administration you know and despite these things happening arab countries there was an arab league peace initiative in which arab countries said that they would recognize israel only in return for uh, israel recognizing a independent supporting a palestinian state formation of a palestinian state but arab countries actually went uh, you know uae uh, bahrain uh, sudan uh, right. and uh, morocco so these these countries actually you know the, the arab league peace initiative has you know it, it it's it's crashed so they went ahead and uh, uh, reaching peace agreements with israel so this regional domestic and international events were there these events were kind of adding to the pressure uh, that was already there within uh, within the region and jerusalem let's see that you know it is not that simple yeah the, the united states has recognized uh, uh, jerusalem as israel's capital but most of the countries still have not uh, european countries india uh, india has our embassy in tel aviv you know 
because we all see the, all these countries see that jerusalem jerusalem is a contested city and its status uh, has to be decided as part of a final settlement between the israelis and the palestinians uh, so uh, so in that jerusalem but effectively jerusalem is uh, being uh, controlled by the israelis since 1967 the whole city including the whole city you know western part and the eastern part of the city so it is uh, it is a bit complicated and then these things these things unfolded in jerusalem right so you mentioned that the um, in the arab countries that initiative for peace the, that might have supported palestine or hamas at this time that is kind of been collapsing around them uh, so geopolitically how has this been playing out i mean uh, of course the israel is allied with the us um, you know is anybody would anybody be coming to hamas's aid at this point uh see there are countries that support hamas of course iran uh, politically supports hamas and then the islamic jihad another militant group within gaza uh, is widely seen as an iranian proxy and uh, politically let's say that uh, uh, turkey uh, supports hamas and uh, qatar supports hamas so there are countries supporting hamas but they have always kind of uh, taken a pro hamas or pro palestinian pro gaza line uh, we don't see i don't think that uh, this would have any major impact in the existing equations of uh, west asia because uae or other countries uh, you know they have, they might issue strong statements but i don't think that they would do anything to stop israel from doing a ground invasion or they would kind of you know uh reverse the process of normalization uh, with israel that's not happening because the palestinian issue uh is as we wrote we wrote during the abraham accords two things when the abraham accords were signed one is that sidestepping the palestinian issue doesn't resolve the palestinian issue that's what the abraham accords did they didn't right. address this issue they set it aside and then they went ahead with normalization agreements with arab countries and israel but that doesn't resolve the palestinian issue right it is there it is going to be there and as long as the occupation continues this palestinian issue would remain one of the most critical pressing problems in west asia so that's what we see in less than 2 years in less than a year less than one year we see the middle east flaring up again and the second thing is that the palestinian issue is no longer an arab israel issue it started as an arab israel issue 1948 arabs and israelis fought 1967 arabs and israelis fought 1973 egypt and arab egypt and israel fought so it is no longer an arab israel issue uh, you know in 1982 uh, israel went to lebanon to uh, attack the plo in 1978 israel went to lebanon to attack the plo so but now it has evolved into it is now a palestinian israeli issue so you have to look at it that way so it has to be if, if if you want to resolve it it has to be resolved between these two and if it's not being resolved it may not have any say impact larger impact between arab countries and israel but this issue is going to remain there and then uh, thirdly i think uh, there are interesting uh, there are other interesting changes happening in the region say for example when the uae and other countries reached out to israel last year the question was what saudi arabia would do because saudi arabia right. is the most important country among the sunni arab world you know and saudi arabia has uh, backroom contacts with israel they have very good ties with israel though they haven't normalized ties and the normalization might happen in the future i think but at the same time you know saudi arabia is now holding talks with iran 
and uh, Iran and Turkey are also holding talks. So the Saudis, I think, uh, when the UAE and others signed agreement with uh, Israel, the the one one analysis was that Israel and you know the Sunni Arab blocs were coming together against their common foe, that is Iran. But now you see Saudi Arabia, which already has good ties with Israel, uh, is now reaching out to the Iranians because the Saudis now realize that, uh, you know, with the Americans rewriting their, uh, redesigning their presence in, in the Middle East because they have to focus on China. And uh, the Saudis having a problem in Yemen on their border where Houthis are still controlling the capital city and backed by uh, the Iranians. The Saudis now, I think, my assessment is that they think uh, it's time to reach out to the Iranians. You can't do it without Iran, you know. So, uh, interestingly, instead of moving completely towards the Israeli side, or before, we don't know when the Saudis would normalize ties with Israel. So, before normalizing ties with Israel, the Saudis are now trying to, uh, you know, build bridges with the Iranians. So, at least Saudi Arabia is trying to balance between these two instead of moving to one block against the other. Right. No, uh, so many geopolitical blocks to sort of move around and try and figure out how they all fit into this conflict. But just um, for the for the, for the the current moment, Stanley, we'll just end this podcast with looking ahead. Um, as I said, as I said at the beginning, there are serious concerns now that this uh, conflict is going to escalate, become a global crisis even. Um, so, you know, where do we leave things now as we're finishing this recording? What are we looking to in the next couple of days? Yeah, uh, Jayant, I think, yeah, as I said at the beginning, our, I don't see this conflict ending immediately, but I wish I was wrong, uh, you know. And one, one possibility of ending this conflict is the United States exercising some diplomatic restraint on Israel and countries like, uh, you know, Egypt and Turkey having some impact on Gaza and pull them, pull both sides from, you know, from this Israeli invasion or more rockets, more uh, airstrikes, etc., etc. And then you need to have a ceasefire. That's how you end a conflict like the 2014 conflict ended. So, uh, yeah, we let's hope for that. If that doesn't happen, this will go on. All right. Uh, We'll leave it there, Stanley. I'm sure we'll revisit this topic uh, sometime very soon. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast again and for making time for us. Thank you, Jeff. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.